We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So it's time to kick off our Q&A portion of the show. So this is kind of our new format. So Ryan joins us and we do a Q&A after every show. It, your questions can continue to be about the positions that we just discussed. Obviously, Ryan uh, will not often is not a part of those discussions. Doesn't mean he doesn't have opinions and have knowledge on those things. So you can always continue to ask questions about that. You can ask any other team questions or recruiting questions. It's going to be like the summer. But it was hard to do it this way because Vince can't often stay for those. So that's why we appreciate Ryan stepping up and, and helping us get this going, Ryan. But before we kind of d- to dive into Toe Jam's question about Cardinal Tate, uh, I wanted to see, first of all, if you have any thoughts that you want to kind of add about what you're looking for this spring from the, the corner room. What, what, when we get to the end of the spring, what do you need to hear to make you feel like this group has kind of taken that step? Knowing Cam Hart's going to be limited, but what are the things you want to hear to make you feel like this room is, is taking the steps it needs to take to kind of raise its game and play at a, a level that lets this defense be a championship caliber defense. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, I think that we talk about it so much on the recruiting side of everything, right? That cornerback recruiting in 2023 is so vital. And I think the biggest question marks with the team may be the opposite corner, up, you know, from Cam Hart. And I think that that's a big emphasis that I want to, watch during the spring is the, I want to see competitiveness. You know, I want to see the competition. I want to leave spring and there be multiple guys that Notre Dame would feel comfortable with starting opposite of Cam Hart. Mm-hmm. Right now it's just Clarence Lewis by default, right? Cause you haven't seen it from Ryan Barnes yet. Philip Riley is moving to the field and working some in the nickel. You have other guys that you're excited about, but they're just question marks right now. I want to see guys step to the forefront and challenge and be able to take reps and to force their way up the depth chart. And I also want to see Clarence Lewis take a huge step forward and say, you guys are just going to take my spot that easily. Like I'm going to come back here and I'm going to be a better player. Cause that is, I mean, the iron sharpens iron thing is something that, that, you know, players talk about all the time. Right. And I think it's true. I want to see players getting pushed. I want to see players pushing back. And I think that that's a huge emphasis in the quarterback room is I think that there is talent there. It just has not materialized opposite of Cam at this point, and it's a huge. It's going to be a huge 
barometer, I think, of how good this team could be in 2023, uh, 2022, excuse me, because I, I think that that's one of the, when you're saying, what are the biggest, what we're, we're like when you're playing against an Alabama or a Clemson or one of these, you know, top tier teams, what are the biggest differences as far as talent level? I would think that you would say cornerback versus some of the wide receivers that they face. That's where kind of some of the, the, the gaps start to be created, right? So I need to see for Notre Dame to, to, to alleviate that gap, to eliminate that gap, is for some of the young players who are very talented really start to turn that mm-hmm. to for that that pro- progress and that and that upside into tangible production. Mm-hmm. Like you need to start yeah. to see it. Yeah, I, I think I think that 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 gap and corner play is twofold, Ryan. I think you nailed it with the whole. Your corners are not to the level of Devontae Smith and John Mechie. And you, it wouldn't have been Jamison Williams last year. And, and if you looked at the Ohio State receivers, you know, you're not on that level yet. It's also about the other corners, right? Your receivers are facing tougher tests. And so I think those are things we look at and say, we talked about this being the show, is most teams that compete for championships have at least one high level corner. But the difference between them, I, I, you and I both think Notre Dame can have a high-level corner. You and I both think Notre Dame has a chance to have one of the nation's best corners next year, correct? I mean, we're on the same page with Cam Hart. The difference is, is the number two doesn't have to be that guy, but it can't. the gap can't be as great as it is right now between their number one and their number two. That's, I think, where that level, that that, that there needs to be. And we saw it in 2019 as well. I thought Troy Pride was really good in 2019. The problem was the gap between Troy and then Sean Crawford and Tariq Bracey and those other guys was bigger than what it should have been for an elite team. And I think that's where you talk about like the multiple guys being starting caliber players. It's not about that. You will start them, that they play like guys that you should start. There's a difference because somebody's got to start. It doesn't mean he's any good. Right. And so when Ryan talks about, you know, comfortable starting guys. It's not just about, well, this guy can play that position. It's like, this guy needs to play that position. That's what we're referring to. And when they get to that point, that's when you start feeling like the cornerback room is getting there. Because as we said, like, we think, Ryan, I don't know if you you were listening, uh, because I know you texted me, you had like three different interviews you were working on, because Ryan (laughs) is grinding folks. Like, you don't understand how many updates he's put on the private board, the the premium board recently. But the thing we said is, I think the D-line room is already a top 10 room. I think by the end of the season, the safety and linebacker rooms could be in that top 10 category. They have a chance to be in that top 10 category. I don't see a cornerback room being there yet. So it's about maximizing with what you have. You Look, you could say, hey, go out and get great 2023 corners, but those guys can't help you in 2022. You've sure. got to make the most of what you have from this room, and that's going to be the challenge for Mike Mickens. And there's some players there. Yeah. And I think that quarterback too, Brian, is such a confidence driven position, right? Like I heard, I did hear you before I got on talking about, you know, when Troy was on, he was kind of saying like, you need a short-term memory. I just, I want to leave spring and see some of these young guys have a little bit of swagger to themselves. Cause I mean, obviously quarterback, you want guys that have length, you want guys to have athleticism, obviously like those are requisites, but like we just saw Darian Kendrick today from Georgia. I don't know if you saw this update, but he ran four, seven, five, at the at their pro day today, like he is not a great athlete, he had like a thirty-one inch vert. But when you watch Darian Kendrick play at Georgia this past year, he was playing like nobody in front of him was going right. to beat him, and he plays with the swagger. 
We need that same emphasis because, again, there are talented players. Ryan Barnes can run a lot faster than Darian Kendrick. He is an athletic kid. He's longer than Darian Kendrick. Yeah. Chance Tucker can I've run been faster told than Darian Kendrick. Yeah. Just to back that up, I've been told Ryan the last time they ran, which is a while ago, was a high 4-5. But to say, well, that's not real fast. That's what Julian Love ran when he was at Notre Dame. And he's and he's a sophomore six foot three corner, right? So, right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's not a burner, but that's not slow either. It, to 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 his to Ryan's point, I mean, Darren Kendrick is a longer corner. He's not quite Cam Hart long or Ryan Barnes long, but he's a longer corner. Yeah. And, and so yes, I didn't I did not hear that. That's a bad time. Four seven that, five, four seven eight, dude. It was, and he yeah. was the star. I mean, so what you're saying is he ran the same forty time as Jordan Davis. That's that's what I'm saying. I'm saying maybe maybe a, maybe a couple uh couple fractions of a hundredth faster, but yes, it well, was one of those two ballpark. of those big D linemen definitely had same or better times. I mean that, but yes. yet he was like you said, he was a very good football player for them uh, this year. So uh, that that again, playing fast and being fast aren't all, on track times aren't always the same thing. And as we've said, some of the best corners Notre Dame has had were not burners julian love but here's what notre dame did a great job of with mike elko and clark lee is they said this is what julian does well and we're going to play to that strength he's not a man guy he's a great read and react it's why that's why in the nfl they didn't move him to safety in the nfl because he's slow they moved him to safety in the nfl because his game is better suited for a safety position where it's like keep everything in front of you type of role He's not a flip your hips at the snap of the ball kind of guy. Once Julian has to flip his hips, you've now kind of got him out of where his game is ideally suited, which is why he had like 23 pass breakups in 2017, which is an absurd number, by the way. Absurd. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that's kind of that that's that's going to be where this staff is going to have to learn. Because, again, last year was first year on staff for Marcus Freeman. It was, you know, you kind of learn and kind of who what guys can and can't do. And so that makes obviously for a big part of that. So. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
at hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We got we got a lot of recruiting stuff, Ryan, and we've had some people yeah. got some recruiting questions in before we even got here. Toe Jam with a super chat. Thank you so much, Toe Jam, for that. So sorry, I'm late. Apologies for the off-topic question. Just want to make sure you all are clear. We are going to do these daily Q&As. There is no off-topic. As long as it's Notre Dame or college football related, there is no off-topic for these shows. So, uh, But we appreciate that. We'll just get to them after the this portion of the show that's more specific from a, 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 a sort of a content standpoint. So sorry, I'm late. And apologies for the off-topic question that you may have already answered. Did Cardinal Tate stay for day two? Any impressions of the visit and great talk with Troy Pride last night. Thank you for that. Troy was supposed to be on for like 30 minutes, like 30, 45 <laughs> minutes. He stayed for an hour and 47 minutes. Like, and he, it, he loved it. Like he, he did such a great job. Uh, I enjoyed that very, very much. So I'm, I'm glad you did as well. So Ryan, let's talk about Cardinal Tate. We have an update on the premium board. Sean Davis obviously talked to Cardinal and, and, We've had like what five updates on Cardinal Tate on the message board since yesterday. Yeah. Uh, just kind of a little bit of just kind of general impression. No, he did not stay for day two. It's mm-hmm. I don't believe they. I believe they uh, drove back this morning. I think I'm not. I have to ask Sean if they drove back last spend night. Extra, to spend extra time with family, right? Was the whole right. premise of that? Yeah. Because I guess yeah. they're getting ready to go on a vacation or something along those lines. But just impressions of the visit uh, in, in kind of how we felt Notre Dame did on that visit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so from Sean's update that again is on the premium message board by all accounts, Notre Dame hit it out of the park. They, the, the quote was, I believe they impressed him more than he thought they thought they would. Right. And that's mm-hmm. talking about him and his mother. So they made big impressions on both of them while in campus. And I, you know, obviously we've heard the last couple of days, there's been a lot of Ohio state out there, right? Ohio state's mm-hmm. a clear leader. Ohio state's this, Look, folks, if you're going to go after a player like Cardell Tate, there's going to be other players that you need to work against, right? And this was a huge opportunity. I think there's going to be continuously some things in the future, potentially, that could also, you know, start to pull it into a different direction. But you're going to have to battle with Ohio State. This is not going to be an easy one for Cardinal Tate. But the point is, is that they had their opportunity to wow Cardinal Tate with this visit and his mother, and they did. They handled their business. They put themselves back in a very solid position. It's going to be a battle. They dropped the top five. They are. He was Notre Dame was one of the top five along with Ohio State and, and Georgia, Alabama, and, and whatever. But all I know is right now it seems like it's a Notre Dame Ohio State battle by all accounts. And I think Notre Dame is firmly in it, and they did everything that they needed to do on this trip to be into that conversation. In my opinion, there's a lot of confidence in both sides that this went really well. And one of the intel pieces we put up last night, and if you're on the message board, you already know this. I'm going to keep saying that, is that Notre, there was a lot of uh, ground to make up when Marcus Freeman was hired and when Chancey Stuck was hired because the previous head coach and the previous receivers coach just did a poor job in this one. And 
the good news is, is Notre Dame's known it for a while and they've been working to fix it for a while. Tommy Reese has been very involved. Uh, Chancey Stuckey's done a phenomenal job, really not just connecting with Carnell, but connecting with his mom, which is going to be very, very important. His mom's going to have a similar impact on his recruitment that Tyson Ford's mom had on his. It's just right now, his mom isn't necessarily pushing for Notre Dame. That was a big part of this visit, was getting mom to understand the opportunities that await her son at a place like Notre Dame compared to you know, Ohio State and some of those other places. And, and they feel like they did a great job there. I think the thing that Sean has been adamant about from day one is that if it, if it comes down to Cardinal making the decision that he wants to make, Sean has always felt that he thought it'd be Notre Dame. I'm a little bit more skeptical of that than Sean is, but Sean also knows Cardinal better than I do. But he's been adamant about that. And, and so yesterday seems like it, it definitely put Notre Dame in a much better position than it had been. And the good news is no part of the reason I think it went well, Ryan, is the staff knew exactly what was needed. They knew exactly where they stood. They knew yeah. exactly why they were not in position that they needed to be in. And that's important. Self-awareness is an incredibly important thing to have when you're recruiting. Because if you don't know why you're trailing, then you can't do anything about it, Ryan. Yeah, no, and, and you're absolutely correct. I mean, there's there's two ways that it can go, right? If you're like, oh my God, Ohio State has pulled a, pulled ahead, quote unquote, right? That's at least the, perce- the perception there. You can either say, oh, well, uh, we can't compete with Ohio State, which is obviously a, a very a very pessimistic way of looking at it. Or you could say, now we know what we need to do. This is the mm-hmm. challenge that's in front of us and we need to tackle it, right? And then by all accounts, again, Notre Dame hit it out of the park. Is it going to be enough? We'll see. But it's not like that he has to make a decision tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. There's still time to continue to make up the ground. But I think that this was a very positive step in this recruitment, to say the least. And, yeah, and he he is such an important recruit for Notre Dame. I mean, he's not a make or break the class type of guy, but he's an important recruit. Or, look, we could spin it and be like, no, no, they'll be just fine if they get this guy, this guy, and this guy, and – it's still going to be a great class, and, and that that's all kind of true. But when you have a five-star kid in your backyard, and look, Chicago's Notre Dame's backyard. It'll always be Notre Dame's backyard. You can't lose another stud from Chicago to Ohio State. You just can't. I mean, you, you have to start winning these battles. And I think that Notre Dame has done a, did a phenomenal job yesterday. The key is going to be trying to get him back on campus. after He's going to have an early April visit to Ohio State. Ohio State is going to push hard for him to pull the trigger during that visit. Notre Dame has to know that going in. They have to do everything possible to get him to not do that. They did that last year with Dallin Hayden, if you remember. They were able to kind of say, hey, look, make sure you come back here before you do that. The problem is when Dallin Hayden visited, the running backs coach kind of blew it, you know, but they were able to kind of hold off on making that commitment. I think if they can kind of say, Carnell, make sure before you make a decision, come back for the blue goal game. Right. You're, you're not in a rush. Just yet. Yeah, even if you know you want to pick Ohio State, just promise us you're going to come back for the blue gold game before you make an announcement. Right. That's something that's got to be the message now. If, if you feel he's leaning that way, if you don't feel he's leaning that way, then don't put it in his ear to commit to Ohio State. It's about if you feel that's where it's going. Right. But just hammer it. We got to get you back here before you do anything. You got to get you back here. You got to get you back here. Got to get you back here. And then that's the key, because by then the class is going to look a little bit different. Right. And, and that should create some positive vibes. But then that's just another chance for you to really show mom. And it gives you a good time frame to really say, OK, you guys have convinced Carnell. Now you're not. Now you got to convince mama. That's going to be the big key for Notre Dame moving forward. And the good news is, Ryan, they know it and they can start to address it. 
And uh, we also had a question from Salty uh, Virginia Peanuts. Is Carnell Tate and his mother having a day two on campus or did they decide to go home? And just to make sure we iterate, uh, they did, I believe. They are, they're all either at home now or on their way home. But they wrapped up the visit yesterday. I don't know if they definitely stayed in town like they had planned to and see Notre Dame uh, or mm-hmm. see the campus a little bit more. But um, they definitely they definitely uh, were involved in that. And, and they did some they did some of that. I just don't know if they carried it over in today or not. I'll have to ask Sean on that one because uh, he would have a better idea of that. Quinn Kibler, question for later. A buddy and I were chatting about quarterbacks to come out of the state of Michigan. Any other besides Cousins and Stanton? Crazy. We will see more Carr and Underwood coming up. Well, Drew Henson was one. Drew Henson was one. I, I actually have one, and this is really weird that I I actually did not Google this. This is just kind of a weird knowledge that I have. Earl Morrell was from Michigan. I remember the guy that. for the talking about back in the day for the Colts. From the Colts, yeah. Wow. Okay. Earl, Earl Morrell, and that's then, a uh, super he, random. He played yeah. played with the Miami Dolphins too, I believe. After that as well, yes, he was. Um, I think it was Earl. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Earl Morrell definitely went to Michigan. I'm about to Google okay. it just to make sure that I'm correct, but I believe he did grow up in Michigan. That's very interesting. There's, very there's interesting. a random fact of the day. Your random fact yeah, of the day. Very, very interesting. I'm actually looking up uh, I'm looking up now Pro Football uh sports reference. I Pro Football Reference has a thing where they have uh players to come out of certain states that are, I believe, currently in the NFL. And right now it's uh Cooper Rush and Ooh. Drew Stanton and Jim Sorgi of current players that were born in Michigan. So oh, is, um, is, your, is Jim Sorgi still playing? Uh, it's what it says. That's what it says. So yeah, very, very interesting. So, and obviously that's players that are from the state, not guys that played at Michigan or Michigan state. Some of people that are from the state of Michigan. So that's yep. a, that's a very interesting, very interesting take. I'm going to, I'm going to actually kind of do, I'm going to look that up. Now, Drew Henson's a guy that I have always felt if Drew Henson was, would have focused just on football. <laughs> Right. I think he could – he's like Ronald Curry to me. I think he could have been really good. Mm-hmm. I think his baseball infatuation kind of kind of hurt him a little bit. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, especially at quarterback, right? Like, you have mm-hmm. to be locked in at all times. And when you're not, I mean, it's – because I mean, he was really t- – I mean, didn't Dallas take him in, like, the fourth round after he didn't even play yeah. the previous season, right? It's just like, yeah. obviously, he was super talented. Yeah, very, very talented player. Yeah. Uh, a couple other guys, uh, Tyree Jackson played at Buffalo, was oh, from the state Michigan. of Michigan. I did not know nice. that. Obviously, uh, Drew Henson, uh, Devin Gardner, who played at Michigan, was from the state of Michigan. He was okay, wasn't a great quarterback. I'm just going through this one list from the last 25 years. Shane Morris was a guy with a big rep, he never ended up doing anything, but he was a, a guy that was, oh, I forgot, I forgot a big, about Shane Morris. Yeah, he, he was a big time, Michigan. yeah, he wasn't that good, but he was a, a big time recruit for a while there. So yeah. just kind of going through this list, but now they're, they're having Drew Stanton. We talked about already Steven three. He wasn't, he wasn't any good at Michigan. So yeah, that, those are some of those guys. Those are some of the guys that have come out of the state of Michigan. But yeah. That's an interesting question. Interesting question, but it's definitely getting better. <laughs> like there's no question about it with obviously uh-huh. with, uh, with Dante Moore, CJ Carr, and Bryce Underwood. And there's a couple others. There's a couple other quarterbacks. There's a kid that uh, Dante Moore faced in the state championship. That's going to Brown as a kind of skill guy, he's a really good high school quarterback. So it's definitely seems to be uh, on the, on the upswing. There's no question about it. Notre Dame two, one, six, four. Is anybody worried about the fact that Notre Dame has not had a good showing the last three years in a row? 
in their opening game. I, I would say my my response to that is, I think you're always worried about openers, right? And I think everybody is because you don't really know since there's no scrimmages in college football, you don't really know. Like, are we this good or is our defense that bad or vice versa? You know, that kind of thing. Or are we really this bad or are we just this good on both sides of the ball? There's all types of ways to look at it. But, no, they have not been good. They played poorly against Florida State last year. They they played poorly against Duke the year before that. And, and, uh, and in 2019, I thought that they started off not great against Louisville. But I still say that the injury to, to Jafar Armstrong on the opener against Louisville hurt them because if you look at that first drive when he touched the ball three or four times they went right down the field and and he was kind of a focal point of their game plan and and they lost him like after a series but you know it wasn't a great performance and kind of a precursor of how that season was going to go but Ohio State hasn't exactly lit the world on fire and openers in the last couple of years either. I mean, well, that's what I was going to say. Did, no, did nobody yeah. watch the Minnesota game last year? Like, yeah. If if Abraham doesn't go down, they may lose that game. Like yeah. They really so. might have lost that game. And then they lost a week later. They lost at home to, to Oregon. So their home opener last year, they got him. I mean, they lost by seven. Ryan, you watched that game. They yeah, were never going to win man. that game. Oregon outplayed them from start to finish. Uh, the year before they played Nebraska, I mean, that opener was in October. So, mm-hmm. you know, and they and if you re- go, if you remember that game, it ended up being 52 to 17. You go back and watch that game. It was a battle for the first half of the game. Like it was a competitive game for a while. And then in 2019, they beat Florida Atlantic 45-21. But if you go back and watch that game, that was not a pretty game. They were just way more talented. So I would not exactly say Ohio State's lit the world on fire and openers either. I remember a year, was it 16, when they played Indiana in the opener? And Indiana gave them a game. They just were so much more talented, they were able to pull away. I think Braxton Miller had like a couple – huge plays in the second half that kind of broke the game open. So I don't think a lot of teams play great in openers, you know, at least if you're playing anybody good. So am I concerned about the opener? Yeah. Do I think that Notre Dame's problem is, is unique? Not, not really. I, I really don't. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm worried about the opener, but it's not because of what they've done in the past. And then to your point uh, in the question, I think there's a, a, a response to it is it's a new staff. So we really don't have a clue. I mean, I, I could easily sit there and spin it and say, it's a new staff. They're going to be better than openers. I have no idea, no clue if they're going to be better than openers. Uh, I, just, I hope they are, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I mean, I mean, it should at least be on the forefront of their mind that, like, we've gotten right. off to a couple of slow starts here the right. last few years. Maybe we need to change preparation up a little bit, you know, do something a little different. So at least there's a difference mm-hmm. in how you're tackling tackling the problem right so there right. might be a better result or there might be the same who knows but either right. way i think that they're definitely self-aware of the fact that fact yeah so you gotta hope you gotta hope and uh and we'll, we'll kind of see how it goes but right now i'm just worried about getting through spring and being a better football team on april 23rd than you were on march 17th that's the key for me and now tomorrow's going to be a big day for notre dame and several for several reasons number one obviously they're starting spring practice on st patrick's day ryan but also you guys are going to want to be locked in on twitter tomorrow starting early in the morning because tomorrow notre dame is throwing out their pots of gold right which is their kind of their outreach to the rising junior class and there's a lot of dudes on that list ryan that are really talented football players it's going to be fun to see that and if you remember the pots of gold for a lot of these kids are going to be offers there are not a lot of 2024 offers. There's going to be a lot of 2024 offers going out tomorrow. If you remember, a year ago tomorrow was when Notre Dame offered, as part of the the the, the pot of gold thing on St. Patty's Day, that's when they offered officially offered Don, or 
threw Dante Moore an offer. And it was then that we kind of were like, okay, let's look into this kid. This kid's really good. He really likes Notre Dame. So tomorrow's a big day. So you guys want to say locked into uh, to our Twitter, to Notre Dame's Twitter, because there's going to be a lot going on. And of course the message board, because there's going to be a lot, a lot of names you've never heard of that you're going to start hearing a lot more about moving forward in the 2024 class. Yeah. Rob Osgood asks, do you think Golden will bring a, will bring a more of an attack defense to pressure the quarterback to help the DBs? If so, how and who would you use to attack the quarterback? Well, Ryan, I'm going to toss this one up to you. Number one, Notre Dame was one of the 10 best sack teams in the country last year. I do mm-hmm. think there's a need for them to be more consistent with their pressure because sacks don't always mean you have a consistently good attacking defense. The front four, obviously. There's one player that Notre Dame's going to have this year that they didn't have last year that I think they're going to use to attack the quarterback, and I can't be the guy to talk about it because his biggest fan is sitting right there. Oh <laughs> uh, man, I think I think th- all right. So of course Brian's talking about Maris Loyfow, who's coming <laughs> back from injury, and I mean uh, apparently you know to Brian's source, right? Mm-hmm. They thought that he was the best bl- the bl- best pass rusher right. on the team last spring before he got injured, right? So. He's going to bring length and athleticism and closing speed that was absent. Like, let's just call it what it is. It was absent on the second level last year. The Notre Dame defense is going to get more athletic on the second level. The linebackers are going to be longer. They're going to be faster. And that is going to allow, I think, Rob, a lot more press, pressure packages, mm-hmm. a lot more pressure situations. You can create, a, manufacture a lot more pressure than just bringing four on, on, a, on any given down, right? So I do think that Coach Golden is going to be – a little more aggressive in the sense that I think he's going to bring some different pressure packages than maybe we've seen. I think he might bring a little more blitz variety. I think that there is going to be, but in order for him to do so, I think that we need to make this clear, right? This whole show is dedicated to the cornerback position. The the cornerback as position as a whole needs to be better in man coverage than they were Mm -hmm. a year ago. They need to be better in coverage because in order for to have those fancy blitz packages, you're going to be running most of the time a lot of man coverage, mm-hmm. and you are going to have to be holed up on the back end. So it's not really a, a one-for-one, one, right? Like you need both things to be able to coexist right. in that situation. It's the, the so. premise of the question is, I think, a little bit flawed in that people say, you know, you bring blitzes to protect the corners. No, the only way you can protect corners is you can get after with a four-man rush. That's really right. the best way to protect because then you can be in your base coverages. But if you're blitzing, you're gonna have to play some le- some you're gonna have to play kind of some man somewhere. Uh, because again, we don't count five man pressures. That's not a blitz to me. A blitz is you're bringing more than they have to block. So you're bringing more than five. It can be six, it can be seven. But uh, like a five man pressure with just a Mike stunt, that to me isn't a blitz. It's it you know I count it as like a blitz for that Mike linebacker, but schematically it's not really a blitz right? Just bringing the will off the edge to me is not a blitz. It's, it's, it's a part of a, you can, cause it, w- what I mean is like, you can still play zone right now. You can bring zone fires, but in zone fires, again, I don't necessarily count those as blitzes because you're still bringing four to five. You're just dropping an end and doing those type of things. So if you're going to bring more than five to Ryan's point, you got to play man. And as we've seen with the best quarterbacks in the country, I don't care how good your blitz is. I'm going to catch and I'm going to get that ball out. And if your corner is not, if my guy's beating your corner, we're still going to complete the ball. Because if you go look at the, 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 um, because Clark Lee tried to bring some pressures against Alabama and they actually hit home a few times. Like, I mean, at least got pressure sometimes, but he was able to get the ball out. Mac Jones able to get the ball out quickly. A couple of times he rolled out left and was able to hit guys on, on kind of crossers, but you got to be able to cover because 
if you can't cover, then they're just going to catch it and just bang that one-on-one outside or catch it and hit that quick throw if you're playing outside co- you know, man coverage. If you're playing inside man coverage with single high safety, it's I'm catching and I'm throwing that outside go route or I'm throwing that back shoulder. You still got to be able to cover when you pressure. So the only way to really protect the corners, and if it, to Ryan's point, if they don't get better, the only way to protect them is if you're, you're D, it puts a ton of pressure on your D-line. And now, luckily, Notre Dame has a D-line we think can be good enough to do that, but that that's not always going to be the case. And we saw this in the Clemson game in 2018. Notre Dame's defensive line abused Clemson's front, front blockers. But you can't do it every snap. And I've said this before. Trevor Lawrence maybe only had about four or five clean pockets the whole game. But on three of those clean pockets, he hit bombs for touchdowns or big plays. And that's what happens when you play the best teams in the, on the schedule. That's what's going to happen against Ohio State. You may pressure C.J. Stroud all day, but the four or five times he's got a clean pocket, they're going to have a shot to have big plays if your corners aren't covering, right? And that's that's the key. If your safeties aren't covering, is you got you've got to cover well. So then when you do get some clean pockets, he's still throwing incompletions because you're you're, you're in good position from a cover standpoint. So that is still obviously a, a very big key. Timeout. Tom asks, will there be daily video highlights in addition to scheduled spring practice media contact? I don't know the answer to that. Um, so I, I honestly, I honestly do not, do not know if there will be, we'll have some video cause we're going to have somebody at the practices taking video. So we'll be able to put some of that together. We'll have our own highlights, but again, this practice is going to be stretch in the first five periods, which means it's going to be stretch and one-on-one, I mean, uh, individual mostly. So it's not going to be a super exciting, I'm just preparing you now. It's not going to be a super exciting highlight. Uh, hopefully Notre Dame puts a video out. I doubt that they. I, I doubt that they're going to put out what they used to put out, which it's kind of what they what they've done recently is like last year is like they'll put the highlights that are like the really up close highlights, so you can like see a guy catching it, but you don't really get a chance to see a whole lot else. But um, that's just the reality of it. Patrick Bird says, "Do you all see Mickey playing early?" I, I think Ryan, I would say, I think he's got a chance. He'll get a chance to play early. You know yeah. how if he does or doesn't could have it, it could have the the older guys are going to have as much of a say in that as Jaden does. Because he's going to battle, but are, right. if they raise their level of play, it's still going to be tough for him to, to get on the field. I, I think it's a little tricky because, I mean, it. so in the – I mean, obviously in the spring you'll see him a ton because there's going to be a lot of rotation and Cam Hart's not playing. But I think the problem is, Brian, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I would imagine Jaden Mickey's probably going to play to the field early, right? So in theory that's going to be Cam Hart's spot when the regular season comes around, right? I, I don't know if they would make a – switch i don't know if he fits necessarily into the boundary i don't know if he could work in the nickel like I, I don't know what his outlook would be if he's not playing to the field where cam hart is mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. all right let's get to the next question kind of about the same topic and i'll this one i'll kind of kick to you ryan because i think we're looking mm-hmm. at uh, we'll look at it from a college standpoint and then from an nfl standpoint i'll answer the first sure. part very briefly is cam a top five to ten corner uh in college football, I think he's in the conversation. NFL draft, I'll leave that to Ryan. And the rest is, if no, when do you predict he becomes that guy? When he's when he wins his breakout game of the season, I think Ohio State may try him early out of pride in their receivers, then realize the mistake. I, I, I think for me, he's in the conversation. I think you nailed it, Tommy. We're going to know if he's a top 10 cornerback in the opener. I mean, because mm-hmm. Ohio State's not avoiding anybody with their receivers. Nobody. They're not going to be afraid of. And, and even though they lost two guys, trust me, they have a lot of confidence in the kid they have coming back, Jackson Smith and Jigba. 
Uh, they're not going to if if he's matched up against Cam Hart, they're not going to be afraid to throw it to him, and they're not going to be uh, they're young guys, Marvin Harrison, Emeka, all those guys. They're not going to be afraid to throw to those guys. They're not going they're not going to shy away from anybody. We've seen that from Ohio State. Uh, so we're going to find out in the opener, Ryan, if Cam Hart's a top five to ten college cornerback, and then also after you kind of respond to that, I want to get your thoughts on whether or not as you look at the 2023 draft board, kind of mm-hmm. where cam falls on that for you just on what we know now not like if he has a breakout but just if he just continues a normal trajectory of what a college kid does and not doesn't have a breakout where do you see him in that regard yeah i mean i think his flashes are top five to ten right now right as far as Mm -hmm. from a college football perspective because i mean a couple of those plays man like you just kind of like shake your head it's like yeah just haven't seen that over the last couple years you know like it's different and that length and that athleticism is potentially special outside. So I think that he definitely can be a top five to 10 corner in college football. As far as NFL draft goes, I mean, Brian can, can you know, back me up on this. I've talked to him a few times before all the de- declarations happen. I'm like, is there any possibility Cam Hart comes out? Cause like mm-hmm. he might get drafted in like the third, fourth round type of conversation. Like he might be a top 100 player because he's six, cause you can't teach. Six two and a half, and I imagine he's going to run somewhere in the four fours. Like that, that just strikes yeah. me as that type of. We profile. have been told he's one of their faster players. Now, I, again, I don't know how true that is, but we've been told he's one of their faster players, which surprised me. I didn't think he was that kind of runner. So, but yeah. you're right, right. If he's six two with those long arms and he runs in the four fours, he's going top one hundred. Like it's, right. it's just going to happen. So, so I mean, right. NFL draft wise, I think right now. As long as he has a similar season to what he had this year, you can pencil him into potentially being a top 100 type of football player. If he has the type of season that we think he can, because if a cornerback position on the other side of him gets better and they can't go away from Cam Hart and they can't just avoid throwing at him and he has more opportunities to play the football because I mean, he's a former wide receiver, right? So there's natural ball skills there to a degree. So if he is able to have the production based upon the position just getting naturally stronger, I don't see why he can't be a top 50 player in next year's classic. I don't see why not. Because again, six, two and a half with speed like that and long arms, like that just, it's not a typical thing. There's things that you call unteachables. You can't teach that young man being six foot two with those vines for arms. Mm-hmm. So I think he has every opportunity to be a top 50 player. I think right now, top hundred player in next year's class. Like I'm going to have him probably in some second round mock drafts next year to start the start the year, because I think that he has that type of upside. Can he be a first round pick? I think it's also possible. Obviously, he has to have a great season, and they mm-hmm. can't avoid. I mean, he has to have interceptions, and he has to have pass breaks. He has to take yeah. his game to a next level. But I think the talent is certainly there for it. I think to be a first round pick, he needs to do three things. Number one, he needs to basically make it to where people just completely avoid him, like that dominant where people avoid him. Number two, when people do challenge him, because there will be some teams on that 2023, 2022 schedule that will go after him. Clemson's not going to avoid him. USC will not avoid him, and Ohio State will not avoid him. In those instances, he's got to step up and make a lot of plays. And then number three, I think to be a first-round pick, Ryan, and you correct me if you if you think I'm wrong on this, he's got to run fast. He can't have like a kind of a disappointing time like Kyle Hamilton had and still be a first-round pick, in my opinion, unless the cornerback board is just not good. But even right. then, I still think then they just won't draft a corner in the first round, right? Like there's no guarantee you have to draft a corner in the first round. So to me, it's going to require those three things. Is is he's going to have to run fast? And I think I'm running a four three. A six foot two guy that runs a four five flat is moving, right? I mean that's yes, it is. that's the reality. So I'm not saying he's got to run like a four two four four two or anything like that, but he can't run a four five nine either, in my opinion. 
You know, because what did Sauce run? Didn't Sauce run like a did he run like a four four eight or something like that? Like that's four 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 seven. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like that's moving for a six foot two guy with super long arms. You know that that's the thing is like, and I don't I haven't read anyone that I respect that's like, gee, that four four seven was questionable for Sauce. It's like, okay, guy that long with the, with with that kind of speed, that's that's moving because you know Richard Sermon was a four six, but he was yeah. good because he was super long and instinctive, right? And, six and through so ball the, skills, man. Right. Six there you go. Ball skills. That's and, it. And at one point in time on that Seattle defense, he was the small corner. <laughs> Remember when they had Brandon Browner on the other yeah. side? Sherman was six, a small six, guy. All 6'4", 225 yeah. pounds. Of yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> crazy, man. Ridiculous. Yeah. Speaking of that, John Rich asked Ryan, I'll, I'll kick this one over to you. Yep. I think everybody knows my answer already, I think. And, I, and I'm curious to see if you and I are on the same page. What mm-hmm. do you think is more important for a cornerback? Four three to four four speed, or a four four to four five guy with an extra three four inches of length. I mean, all things created equal, you always go for the extra length, even if it sacrifices a little bit of speed. But I mean, this, there's a lot of context to this question, John. That like, right. how do they use their length? Let, what type of player are say, they? Let's say all things being equal, right? Yeah. Similar production, similar level of mm-hmm. impact. One guy's a four three two. One mm-hmm. it, one guy is is is. Let's say six foot with 32 and 31 and a half inch arms. Is that about a, a normal range for yeah. a six foot guy? It's about right there. Yeah. And he runs a four, three, four, three, five. Okay. Okay. And then the other guy is Cam Hart. Let's say Cam Hart, six, two. He's going to have minimum 33 to 34 inch arms, right? Let's just say 33 to 33 and a half inch arms. Let's just say. Okay. Yep. And he runs a four, five, five. I'm, I'm taking Cam Hart in that situation. Okay. I know it's like significantly lower, but that length just makes up for so many different things. Right. And I, I mean, in that, in that instance, again, the length also, it doesn't just improve your ability to have range on the back end, but mm-hmm. also like you can play man to man. I mean, you can play press man co- coverage a lot more in theory because you have those long, long limbs at the line of scrimmage. So I think it opens up more possibilities with the more length you have. So I'm just, yeah, if all things are created equal, I'm always going to take a little bit of length, even if it's sacrificing right. a little bit of speed. Right now, if, if it's the film is better for the fast guy, then you, that that's always the thing is like, we have to create an all things being equal thing because at the end of the day, if the four five five guy has significantly better film, it's an easy answer. If the four three five guy has better film, it's an easy answer. It's it's the guy with the better film, right? That's why I say like all things being equal because at the end of the day, the good teams, and this is the key, the good teams are the teams that 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 don't that pro, that have the the testing in the proper context. And I think in the measurables in the proper context, you'll never see the Patriots draft the kid from UConn in the second round. They may draft him in the fourth or fifth round if he falls, but they're never going to take a guy like that. Or rarely will take a guy like that in the second round. Where the Raiders do a, make a draft, it seemed like for decades they've blown draft picks on guys like that, right? You got to put it in the proper context of, okay, what does the film say? What are the interviews like? What do the people around him say? All that stuff goes into it. And And unlike the movie Draft Day, which I enjoyed, those things usually don't happen over a five-hour period, right? They happen over months, which is why scouts get paid. Oh, man, uh, John, that, that that movie is very realistic. I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> it's a fun movie as long as you don't look for, like, okay, this is how it really went down. You know, like, come on. It's just, you know, it's just not happening that way. I, I can assure you if the Jaguars would have passed on Trevor Lawrence last year, it would not have created a wave of, like, I don't know what to do. Trevor's on the board. It was like, okay, I'm drafting Trevor Lawrence. Is yeah. what it would have been. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
but it was still a fun movie, right? Still a fun sure. movie. John Rich asked, did you catch the BK and Dante photo? BK was absolutely played by that young man, both in the touchdown Jesus pose. I've had a couple people mention this to me. Like I Dante got, it. yeah, did he was basically, Kelly was like saying like this. Some people thought like, is he mocking touchdown Jesus? Like, no, it's just, he, Kelly's not that deep. <laughs> Tommy Guns also asked about Cam Hart. A lot of corner questions about Cam. Can Cam be a shutdown corner, either looking locking guy down his guy in man or taking away at least a, a quarter or third of the field? Ryan, I'd argue he's already been that guy. He's already proven to be that guy. I mean, the, the, la- the last, like, few games of the season were, like, five or six games. It was like nobody threw at Cam Hart. You're like – I mean, from an evaluation perspective, it's like you have to really have the all 22 because you've got to see him – at the line of scrimmage, you just got to see him in his pattern. You got to see him being able to turn and, and, and work vertically. Like, you had to see that stuff because, Tommy, like, they just didn't throw at him. So, I, I would mm-hmm. agree, Brian. I think they've already – he's already erased, you right. know, a quarter of the field, a third of the field naturally already. I, I Again, let's hope the other cornerback spot takes a massive step forward where you can't just avoid mm-hmm. Cam at all costs. Right. I, that's the big key. And, and avoiding happens in two ways, so you understand. Avoiding one is we don't throw at him. Avoiding two is we're going to make sure our best players never matched up against him, or at least as few times as possible. Uh, and, and so that's a key. Like it, It's kind of funny when you look at some of his numbers. I'm like, really, the only teams that really challenged him last year, North Carolina went at him, and Cam had a sloppy game that game. Virginia had a couple completions on him. But like Stanford went 4-6 against him, completed four passes. This is according to Pro Football Focus, for seven yards. I mean, so it was like screens and, you know, short throws and, 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 and things and why, like that. Why would you ever throw a screen at Cam Hart? I still don't understand that one. But that's just my opinion. And that's the thing for me. That's the one area where I think his game needs to be the most more consistent, you know, footwork mm-hmm. and all that. But he's got his his tackling was really inconsistent last year. But he when he wants to be, he is a force coming up against the run. But, you know, then he'll have that play against Virginia Tech where, like, he's got it read perfectly. He's about to blow the guy up, and then he kind of gets caught in between. Do I lay him out? Do I tackle? And then he ends up missing, and the guy runs for 30 yards. That's where the inexperience of being a transition from a receiver to a cornerback will hurt a kid. Cam doesn't miss that play next year. Now he's got that kind of under his belt. And that's that's what made his season last year even more impressive was that was the first time he's ever really played the position in college. And and he had a lot of success and he gave up 335 yards last year in, in the whole season. Looking at the numbers, 119 of those came in the first three games. It's crazy. I mean, that's I mean, I mean, you have the numbers in front of you, Brian. I'd be I'd be curious to see what what, what was the USC game? I feel like Drake London, like they avoided Cam all over the yeah. place, man. Like they put Drake in the slot. They put him against Clarence. Like I did not yep. see him against Cam at all. Three of four for 45 yards, uh, okay. 17 after the catch, which I'm, I'm going to have to remember what that one was. It was probably like a hitch route against off coverage, uh, and he yeah. gave up a long of 21. I remember the long of 21, me asking myself, like, I don't think that was on cam. If I remember correctly, but it was three of four for 45 mm-hmm. yards. Uh, okay. The next week against Virginia Tech or North Carolina it was four of four for 51 yards. They caught two comebacks on him where he was playing off yeah. coverage. He didn't play those well. And then the uh, see here, Georgia Tech went one of four for 11 yards. Uh, Oklahoma State went one of five for 17 yards. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, he just he just didn't get tested a ton, right? And if you go back and look at, it, they threw at him 66 times last year, which is kind of a high number. But I, I, I remember kind of being annoyed by the numbers all year because I'm like, 
that's a that's a screen against off. Like to me, when you throw a screen, that's not throwing on a receiver. Like right. I think that's, that's a right. silly stat. When you're playing off coverage and they run a three yard hitch route, that's not that's not me giving up a catch. That's literally defenses will call that a no cover zone. Like you're going to give up that route, right? And then you just rally and sure. tackle it. So so some of those numbers, even that's what makes his numbers even more impressive because. Teams went 40, completed 48.5% of their passes against them, which is a really good number. And I would argue at least eight or nine, maybe 10 of those were throws where Cam wasn't really in coverage. Yeah, that's in my opinion. That's that's where the pro football focus stuff gets really blurry for me because it's like, I mean, Brian, it's it reminds me of like you're in cover four and they throw like a little flat route out there, right? And you count that as a catch against someone? Like, no, that's what you wanted them to do. Like, right. that's what you're giving up right. in that situation, you know? Like, right. it just doesn't make sense. Yep. Here's a recruiting question from Ian Johnston. Ryan, this is for you. How does the 2023 corner recruiting look right now? Do we have anyone leaning our way? Obviously, Justin Rett is committed to Notre Dame. I think sure. you and I are both confident he will sign with Notre Dame when it's all said yeah. and done. He's very much a Notre Dame fit. Uh, but after that, Ryan gets a little bit uh, a little bit dicey at this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, in time. Th- this is the one that gets me a little nervous, to be honest. Like, this is the position because it's a big cycle for cornerback recruiting, for secondary recruiting, just in general. Uh, because, I mean, we just talked a lot about Cam Hart. Cam Hart's probably entering his last season. I know he's got more eligibility, but, like, I, I, I imagine that it may be his final season, or at least there's the potential for it. So, the cornerback needs to be, you know, have to have some numbers in this class. And, I mean, Justin Red from Bishop Gorman is obviously in the class, very talented, potential top 100 type of player. But then if you ask me, Ian, like, who are they in lead for? Nobody right now, to be very mm-hmm. honest with you. Like, I think they – are going to make a strong push for Micah Tease out of Oklahoma, Booker T. Washington, mm-hmm. who Christian I would Gray say is probably their top guy right now. Too. Christian, yeah. yeah, Christian Gray is probably their top guy on the board. I think they really like Micah Tease, and I would say Micah Tease is they're probably second to Oklahoma right now for Micah Tease. Christian Gray likes Notre Dame, but I don't know if they're the leader for Christian Gray. Like I feel it's got a little bit muddled over the last few weeks, last couple months. They like Braxton Myers out of Texas, who long cornerback, but. I mean, to answer your question, I don't think anybody, any of them are leaning their way right now. There's a mm-hmm. lot, a lot of room that they need to make up for some of these. And they, they, I mean, this process needs to kind of play out a little bit because corner recruiting does not have me too confident right now. Now, the, Notre Dame is a lot more confident and with where they stand with Christian Gray than Ryan and I are confident with where they stand with Christian Gray. That's the other thing. It's like they love Christian Gray. They think they're going to get him. We're not quite as optimistic. So – uh, they're going to have – I need to see them get him back on campus and, and see some positive vibes because right now a lot of the momentum just from what we're hearing – now I don't care about crystal balls and that's not what we're talking about, but just the momentum we're hearing in conversations and our sources, it sounds like LSU and Ohio State are really, really doing a good job with him, uh, which I'm not super high on Christian Gray, but the fact that Ohio State wants him as bad as they want him has me – kind of second guessing my evaluation you know like mm, they may they Notre Dame loves them Ohio State loves them and LSU loves them now LSU I can kind of take with a grain of salt because it's his former coach you could say there's a bias there that kind of thing but Ohio State really wants this kid Notre Dame really wants this kid so I'm gonna eventually kind of go back and say okay let's see some more film of him because he does a lot of great things my question is just the speed that's my only really question about him. he does a lot of really good things on film I just 
I want to see what a speed looks like and, and, and a little bit more. So, uh, but he does a lot of things really, really well. It reminds me a lot of Jaden, uh, a lot of Jaden Mickey in that regards where I never thought Jaden was a burner either, but he just was really good. He was really sticky in coverage. He just was really physical. Like, and then he shows up and he's a little faster than I thought, you know, and, and I'm hoping that Christian Gray's that the way, because he does a lot of really good things on film. He's really instinctive, really smart, makes his, makes a, a lot of plays in the football it's got some, even though he's not tall, he's like 5'11". He's got, he's, I love his length. I mean, he seems to like for a 5'11 guy, he seems to have well above average length for that size too. And so we'll just see if Notre Dame is is right on this one or not. Zach Martin asks, is it recency bias or does it seem like there are more cleanup surgeries this offseason for starters, rotation guys than normal? It's not, it is, you are, you are not off base. That was an intentional thing. Uh, Notre Dame has had some issues in the past of guys trying to play through shoulder injuries and just build it back up. And they were just not the same player. And so what Notre Dame decided this year was just some of these guys with these minor things, we want to clean it up and let them heal and let them get back and, and get to it. We'll see if that is the right decision or not, but um, that I like the fact that they, they were convicted about it. I also like the fact that they did it immediately after the season, like in January, like early January, where a lot of these guys had surgeries around the same time. So uh, we'll find out. I mean, anytime you, you'd you make the decision to go in and cut a guy open and make a repair, there's always a risk. But, you know, I'd rather take that risk than let's see if he can play through it, and then he gets hurt in April, and now he's out, you know, for the beginning of the season. So there's always, there's always that. And that's, that's one of the tough decisions the medical people have to make and why I've always felt as a coach – you leave that decision to the medical people at the end of the day. So, and then, and obviously the, the player and his families as a coach are like, Hey, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to give you advice on this. Number one, there's some liability there. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's always that kind of risk, but that's where we're at. Facil- facilitate inform thoughts on Buckner's long ball ability and a hit ability to hit receivers in stride. Ryan, I don't think his ability to hit receivers in stride has ever been a question. I think the only question about his deep, I mean, he throws a beautiful deep ball when he can throw it quickly. Our question with his ability to throw the deep ball is, can he throw the deep ball? Like yeah. he can, I mean, you'd go look at the throw he made to Cam Hart, to, to Kevin Austin. Didn't he make one early against Toledo like that as well? I believe I'd have to go back and look. I, I believe uh, so. You're, you're talking one about the, of the Virginia early Tech games. one, the Kevin, right? Virginia Tech. Oh yeah. Is the, one? the Virginia yeah. Tech one. Yeah. Where he just mm-hmm. dropped that sucker on a dime. I think there was another yeah. game he threw one. And that same game, he threw a beautiful backside seam route to Avery Davis as well. The question I have about Tyler's deep ball is can he muscle it? Because like on those throws, he hit his drop and it was gone. That's not always how it's going to be. You know, can he go through and come back and see at, as his secondary read that backside post is coming open? And I got to throw that sucker out there a little bit. Those are the questions I have. But as far as being able to hit receivers in stride, he throws a beautiful deep ball in that regards. I need to see the power deep ball a little bit more. That's my bigger question for him, Ryan. Yeah, and and I I think it may be something, Brian, because I know we talked about this before, and I'm hopeful that it is, that maybe it's just something that we haven't, like he hasn't been asked to do a ton, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's something where, I mean, we talked about the simplistic package that he was running last year that did not offer a ton of downfield opportunities, right? But I think you did see in the spurts of him throwing deep, like there's, I think there's, he has a live arm in my opinion. I, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that it is elite arm strength or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it's live. I think it's talented in, in the sense that he can make throws from varying angles and do all that type of stuff. And I think that he has a nice quick release. It's a little unorthodox, but like the ball gets there for the most part. So I'm hopeful for what Buckner can do as a long ball passer. And I think that he's shown flashes of it. You just obviously want to see that 
ability, that ability and those opportunities get expanded so we can really kind of get a test of like what he has in a full arsenal. Mm-hmm. We have the same issue of value in high school because he was so quick with his decision making in high school that he was throwing balls 45 yards and hitting guys in stride. He just he, he just right. gets it out so quickly. And that's the big thing for me that is why I'm more optimistic about Tyler than it seems a lot of people in our chat are. I have been dying to have a quarterback with elite anticipation for years. Notre Dame has not had one for a long time. And I think Tyler has that. And that's that's the thing that separates, to me, the great quarterbacks from the good quarterbacks is, is that ability, is to just – see it and anticipate it. And what was the big complaint I had about Ian book? He needed to see it first before he could feel comfortable throwing it. Well, against Clemson and Ohio state and Alabama and Georgia, that's not going to work. You know what I mean? You got to, you got to anticipate. I know what my guy's doing. I know what the defense is doing. I see this, I'm reading it. I know when I hit my drop, this ball is going out into this zone and my guy's got to go get there and get it. And, and I think Tyler has that. I think Drew Pine has that to a degree as well. And I don't mm-hmm. feel that previous quarterbacks had that. And I and I don't think Jack showed that as much last year, but that was a byproduct of that was his first year working with all those receivers in that system. If, if Jack right. would have come back this year, if he was able to and he wasn't, you'd have seen that anticipation level improve. Cause I think he shows good anticipation, not elite anticipation, but good anticipation. And that's partly why his success was so much greater down the stretch. Like if mm-hmm. you look at that ball to Lorenzo Styles, like he threw that ball really before Lorenzo was definitely open, but he knew it. as soon as he made his drop, he saw the safety. I'm man, my, hit my drop, and I'm coming back to Lorenzo on the post route. Right? Sure. He got much better about that down the stretch than he was early in the season, which is just a, a number one being confident enough to go through your progressions with the line, and the number two just being more on the same page with the receivers and confidence in the offense. And now that's going to help Tyler too that he's now going into year two. This is going to be Tyler's second spring. This is going to be mm-hmm. his second season. I think you'll see him start to make those those jumps. Paul asked, there have, there's been some news of a couple 2023 defensive backfield commits leaning or looking elsewhere. Who are those guys that Notre Dame is looking at to fill these possible decommitments? I think we need to pump the brakes big time <laughs> on the premise of this question, okay? Number one, there's only two. It's not that they're leaning or looking elsewhere. Justin Rett said from the day he committed, Notre Dame knew he was going to take other visits. He's been honest and upfront with Notre Dame from day one that he's going to take visits. He and it, that was part of the deal of it. You can com, I'll commit now if I'm if it's okay with me taking visits. And if Notre Dame wasn't okay with that, he wouldn't have committed. I'm okay with Notre Dame's decision here with a kid like him. Peyton Bowen's situation is a little bit different. We said earlier we're confident in Justin Rett staying with Notre Dame. We have no doubts about that. As much as no doubts, as as much as you can have no doubt in today's recruiting world, right? I mean, you know, I I would have never guessed Pete Werner was going to decommit and flip to Ohio State either. I mean, things happen, right? Peyton Bowen, we're a little bit more concerned about. And right now, when you look at who are they filling to to, to those replacements, obviously Malik Hartford from Ohio is a kid that they're looking at at safety. Ryan Caleb Downs is the guy that they're looking at. But at some point in time, they're going to have to expand the board a little bit if they really think Peyton Bowen is going to flip. But right now, I think Notre Dame is still in a position where they feel they're going to, they still feel like they are the team to beat. So it's not time to panic yet, but right. there's work to be done there. And they've got to get him back on campus. He's supposed to be back. What is it, Ryan, for the Blue Gold game? Yes. Uh, for, yeah. for Peyton Bowen. That's going to be a big visit for him in Notre Dame. They're, they're going to know that weekend if, Pey, if, if Peyton Bowen's a guy that they have to be prepared to replace. In my opinion, well, yeah, and I, I think I think right now it is actually encouraging that the safety board is not expanding yet, right? Because, like you said, they are not anticipating that they're going to have to 
fill a void there. So I think that's a positive outlook right now. And I, I believe that, you know, Notre Dame is, is confident in where they stand with Peyton Bowen. And I mean, he, it, it is a little unsettling because it's, it's something where it hasn't just been on the forefront of like, Hey, I'm going to take more visits. It's just kind of all of a sudden he's at Oklahoma and it like, no mm-hmm. one knew about it. <laughs> like right. It was just like, um, right. That's concerning. That's right. concerning. It's, we're exactly. like, and that's why we're not worried about Justin Rett because Justin Rett has told Notre Dame from the beginning, I'm still going to take my. You had an article when he committed saying, look, he still plans on taking his visits. I mean, that this was something was we've known. Months right? ago. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, exactly. Uh, and the same with Keon Keeley. Keon's been upfront with Notre Dame from the, from, oh, for a while now. Hey, look, I'm, some places I want to go to. Right. And mm-hmm. you get, you, you get a little less concerned about those guys. There's always a threat that people are going to flip, but it's the guys that do things under the, you know, kind of behind the scenes that you kind of get worried about. Cause they're, those are the guys you're like, wait a minute, why are you sneaking? Like what, what, like, why don't you be honest with us about it? And, and it's going to, sorry. I was Go just going to say, it's, it's, it's going to be big too for Notre Dame to, you know, do their best to keep Peyton. Cause I mean, we always talk about a top 50 player, all that good stuff. There's also going to be, I mean, one, they're trying to tap into Texas more, right? Like that's right. been a point of emphasis. He's obviously a guy right out of Denton Geyer. Who's, you know, one of the better prospects coming out of Texas in 2023, better recruits. And also the safety turnover for next season is going to be a big on the roster because, you yeah. know, at least DJ Brown, at least Houston Griffith, maybe Brandon Joseph is also going off of, off of the safety board. So you need to replenish that safety depth chart and keeping a guy like Peyton right. Bowen is going to be big. So, And if you think it about out. it, Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts will all be seniors when Peyton Bowen's a freshman. I mean, so That's you're looking crazy. at your first two years at Notre Dame. There's There's potentially a lot of turnover at that position. Uh, and that's how they can kind of say it to him. I mean, there's the COVID stuff and all that, but the, you know, don't necessarily need to talk about that. David Solomon says best case scenario for the defensive backs coming out of spring would be every starter from last year is in a real competition to keep their jobs, including Cam Hart. If Cam Hart, see, it, it, it's going to be hard for us to say that Cam Hart's going to be in competition to keep his job because he's not really practicing. I'll right. say this though: if if Notre Dame, if someone challenges Cam Hart for a starting job. That would be a great thing for Notre Dame because that means somebody is really good. Yes. But the odds are that that guy would just move over. If somebody was really challenging Cam, the odds are one of those two is moving to the boundary and taking that job. But yep. yes, David, I would say that's always true. When your best players are being pushed by other guys, that's a great situation to be in, in my opinion. Big Jim, crazier or era or Earl Mora fact cut one of his toes off in an off-season lawnmower accident, and somehow it actually helped him throw better spirals. I have no idea if that's true or not, but that's a crazy – that's the stuff we used to hear about in, like, the 50s all the time, right? Like, do you know how Larry Bird had his – had his the, the back injury that really ultimately was kind of the thing that, that ended his career early? Do you know how he hurt that? He yeah. was, like, helping his mom. Like I think it was, like, laying concrete at his mom's house. You know nice. what I mean? Like doing yard work at his mom's house or something like that. Like you don't see modern day NBA players like doing. They was used to doing like Larry French, Bird used to mow French his... like Indiana, right? Yeah, French like Indiana, yeah. yeah. Larry Bird used to mow his own lawn. You know, you know, you know I don't even mow my own lawn anymore. You know, right. NBA players that aren't doing that anymore. Uh, I don't think so. Timeout, Tom said when Coach Mason did his initial interview, he mentioned something about coaching safeties. Is he going to have a role coaching DBs? No, he coached Rovers at Cincinnati. If he were to coach a position, that would probably be the one he would help with. But my understanding is, Ryan, he will be coaching the special teams and special teams only uh, in his first season at Notre Dame. So I don't know if, if that's going to change. Now, the the GA and the analyst roles could always 
kind of change the fact where he needs to do that. But I, I think right now his focus is going to be on special teams. And that that's pretty that's pretty unique, right, Brian? That that the special teams coordinator is strictly special teams at Notre Dame. Do I have that right? That that you like typically they do coach a a position, right? Or am I wrong there? Who's that for the special teams guys? Special teams coordinator. Some do, some do, okay. some don't. Like Brian yeah. Poling didn't. Um, others do. I, I I've mentioned a, a good buddy of mine's the special teams coordinator at Vanderbilt. He's always coached a position: running backs, right. receivers, DBs, whatever. Uh, and with the what we've seen with when they added the tenth coach, we've seen more teams have that guy coach a position or not coach a position because it's like, look, we're just going to do enough. I personally would rather have a special teams coach that also helps out somewhere else. Just that's me, but I don't think in year one that's what they're at least that's what we not what we've heard that they're going to do. He's going to be the special teams coach now. Again, that could change. It could go through spring. Like, hey, can we get an extra set of eyes over here on defense? You know, and mm-hmm. the need to be standing around there working with kickers. You know what I mean? But yeah. uh, we'll see if they do that or not. Michael Campbell says, I'm not seeing this Carnell Tate is being written as an official visit for Notre Dame on the recruiting platforms as if him and his mom are just here walking around or passing by not official. The reason that that's being used that way, Michael, is because there's very specific – that word means something in recruiting. An official visit – is not it, it means something. It means the school is paying for him to be on that trip. They're paying for his travel. They're paying for his lodging. They're paying for his meals. And there's a certain time frame that he can be on campus, which is usually a 48-hour period. So if you arrive on on a Friday afternoon, you got to leave by that Saturday or that Sunday at that same time. So the reason no one is saying it's an official visit is because official and unofficial are very specific terms of what that means. This was an unofficial visit. Anytime you visit outside of the official visit window, and right now the reason you can't bring them in on an official is because the window for official visits, I don't believe, starts until, what, June 1st? Like that first week of June, I think is when it starts. Mm. So if they brought him in on an official visit, that would be a recruiting violation, and Notre Dame would no longer be able to recruit Cam uh, uh, Cardinal Tate. So that's a reason for it. Like we can't flippantly – yes, he was officially on campus. Mike, we have official confirmation that he was on campus yesterday and that Notre Dame was with him and moving around. But we start throwing the word official on it, then we mislead people as to what type of visit this is, and it makes it would make it an illegal visit, which it was not. So that's the reason that that it's stated the way that it is stated by us and other recruiting services. David Solomon says, I think it's not, it, I, I, I think now it's too late. I want to be wrong, but landing Dante Moore will be the biggest thing Notre Dame can do to narrow the gap and make the difference. Um, I think he's referring to Cardinal Tate. So right, right. I, here's the thing. They can't just rely on, Card- on Dante Moore, getting Dante Moore as being, okay, now it's all fixed. They have to lay the found work of narrowing that gap before they make that other thing happen, right? I mean, that's the thing is right. he's not going to be a strong, you know, Ohio State. Notre Dame gets Dante Moore and bam, he's coming to Notre Dame. Cardinal State's under. There's a lot of work that needs to be done to make that happen. As we've said all along, we think that landing Dante greatly increases Notre Dame's chances, but it's they're not a pack. We've been very clear about this. They're not a package deal. They're not. Right. It helps but they're not a package deal. Cardinal ultimately is going to do what Cardinal thinks is best for him and his family. And his family is going to guide him on what they think is best for him and, and him and them. Uh, but I think Dante helps that, for sure. but it doesn't ensure it. And that's well, the big I, key. I, I think, I think if they were able to land Dante more than it would, I mean, it could potentially push them over the top for Cardinal. Right. If things are on an equal plane or if it's trending in Notre Dame's direction, but you still have to put yourself in position to do that. Right. Like even if it's, 
if it's Ohio State up here and it's Notre Dame here and then they get Dante Moore, it probably closes the gap, but that doesn't mean that it takes you over the top. You still need to put the work in outside of Dante Moore potentially joining the class. That is correct. All right. We got from Omar Austin. I believe as of right now, this is going to be our last question. Omar says, what are Brian and Ryan's wide receiver XYZ best 2023 combination? So if Notre Dame was going to have the ideal three-man class, what is it going to look like? And I am 100% confident that, well, I'm 99.9% confident that Ryan and I are going to have the same answer on this one. So go ahead, Ryan. Take her away. Okay. X, y, um, now just XYZ, that's not – that, so I he's saying receiver, just for clarification, Notre Dame's three receiver no, names are W, boundary, X, field outside, and Z. The Y at Notre Dame is actually the tight end. So I just want to make sure that's clear, but but I think he's referring to the X, the Z, and the W. So Ryan, yes. with that in mind, please take it away. Yep. All right. So we're going to say for the W position, which going into the boundary, thinking big, a big, longer type of run, uh, wide receiver, I'm going to say the ideal is Braylon James at the at the W um, X, which is um, outside, obviously, to the field. Like Brian just said, in Notre Dame system, I will say that that is Cornell Tate, ideally. And then the slots would be for me would be Rodney Gallagher, the wide receiver out of Pennsylvania. He's a real he's a guy that you just want to kind of create some create some ability to manufacture some space inside. So that would be my ideal class in those three. So Braylon James in the boundary. Correct. Carnell Tate at X, Rodney Gallagher, and the Z. So that would be Absolutely. mine as well. Uh, I think if you miss on one of those guys, I think the next guy in line would be Jane Greathouse because I do think he can play X. I think he can play some Z. I think think about Jane Greathouse. I think he could play all three in some some roles. I don't think he's a full time boundary too. guy, but yeah. I think he can play all three of those. That's what if you're going to say what's the ideal four man group, he would be part of that because he can play like Rodney's kind of a ZX. Braylon is an XW. Carnell's an X. Carnell and, and Jaden Greathouse, I think, can play all three. Carnell can play all three all the time. I don't think Jaden's a full time boundary guy. I don't think. I don't think he has the speed to be a full time boundary guy, but he can do some things there and he can play the slot and, he, and you know, kind of that work the middle of the field and then he can play the X. I think he can do all three. Carnell could be a dude at all three, in my opinion, <laughs> especially the two outside right. guys, in my opinion. I, I think. I, I think Jaden Greathouse long term may be like an ideal big slot man. Like I think mm-hmm. that he would be a fantastic yeah. player inside because I just think that he's just such a good route runner. He understands space. He can sit down against zone. Like I just feel like he would be a fantastic player no matter where he ends up. At that and spot. I think he brings some value there as a blocker too. I mean, almost like what we saw from Chase Claypool when he played the slot in 2017. And he people remember he was the starting slot receiver at at least half of the 2017 season. And, you know, there's some there's some stuff you can do with the running back screens, the perimeter running back runs where you're getting a bigger. I mean, he's already 6'2", 210, right? And he's a physical kid. I imagine by the time he's a sophomore, junior in college, he's going to be 220, 225. I mean, he's you know, he's a guy that can bring some value. So, Ryan, I, I agree. I think if he if he could only play one position, I think that slot could be the spot where you you say he could probably do the most consistent damage uh, as a player. We did have one that I missed, Ryan, and this is up your your alley. This is an NFL draft question from Tommy Guns. Do you think any third-year players who can enter the draft next year will take part in the pro days like Avery Davis and Kyron Williams did last year? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so it's a good question. So in this in this hypothetical, Tommy, so it would be usually be obviously quarterback throwing to wide receivers. So in this situation, pass catchers, I should say, because tight ends can be included in that. We'll have Jack Cohn, obviously, a part of the pro day. He will have Kevin Austin to throw to in theory. I do think that there could be a wide receiver or maybe Michael Mayer that may be a possibility. Maybe maybe a Braden Lindsay is another guy running because it can't just be Kevin Austin running routes when they're running that. So I do think that there will definitely be somebody wide receiver-wise that makes a ton of sense. Obviously, Kevin's going to have his quarterback, so you're not going to throw in a, another quarterback into the conversation. So it's usually a player that you need in that type of situation. So it's usually going to be a quarterback or wide receivers or maybe a running back that are added to the fold if you don't have those players. But for, un, well, not for, but fortunately for Notre Dame, they have Kyron Williams, a part of the class at running back. They have uh, Kevin Austin to be a pass catcher. They have a quarterback in Jack Cohn that's going through everything. So that's the only replaceable parts, really. So I do think that you can definitely add in. Maybe Michael Mayer goes out there and runs routes. Maybe a wide receiver runs routes. But those are really the only players that I anticipate that could be a part of that pro day. So really, there's only three that would make sense and be eligible. And it's Chris Tyree at running back. It would be Michael Mayer at tight end. And it would be Braden Lindsay at receiver. Because Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey, I don't believe are eligible to do it, correct? Doesn't have to be yeah. someone who's going to be draft eligible next year, yeah. I believe. Yeah, you have you have to be going. You have to be going into your third year. Yep. It has the rule changed. Does it still count as a fifteen as a as one of your fifteen practices for those players? I'm not sure about that. That's interesting. Because I remember I, originally sure. they had made that rule. And it was a stupid rule. So like you had you couldn't practice in one of the practices or something stupid like that. So I I, I hope that's not a rule anymore. That's it, really dumb. The NCAA had that. So the the NFL kind of said, hey, you know, but. It, that's what they did originally. I don't know if there was pushback or not to that. I'm not quite sure how that worked. Uh, but those are the three I could see. The other thing to remember, too, is there's going to be former players trying to catch on rosters that will come to Pro Days, too. So, like, for example, Troy Pride mentioned last night a couple times that Dante Vaughn's going to be working out of the Pro Day because Dante's no longer with right. Chargers. He's going to try to time and test and do all those kind of things. So you may see, like, a Chris Fink, you know, somebody like yeah. that come back and work out those, those, didn't he work out last? Cause that's what Chris Fink worked I, out last year with I, Ian Book, I, correct? I think he may have. And I, I think he may have. And I was just also going to add that there may also be players from other schools that are going to be working right. out because sometimes schools will allow other players outside to like, so like today, for instance, I was at the Villanova pro day. They had a kid from Indiana university of Pennsylvania. They had a kid from, um, the kid from uh, Virginia Tech that had transferred from Villanova that would played wide receiver. They had a kid from New Hampshire that's from around the area. So there are other schools typically that are a part of the pro days as long as they're allowed by the institution. So that yeah, also that would be a Notre be Dame be... decision, right? Exactly. No, no, exactly. Notre Dame hasn't done that a ton. I think there was a quarterback one year, but you get into those weird situations. If you remember correctly, during one of the years since Tommy Reese has returned as a coach, he threw at a pro day. He had to throw at the pro day. 
He wasn't doing yeah. it to like get noticed. He was doing it because they didn't have a quarterback to throw to the to the. I'm trying to remember. Was it Miles Boykins' pro day? Was it the was it Equinemi St. Brown's pro? It was one of the earlier years when Tommy was was on the staff where he, how, he had to throw. How did Tommy look? How did he, he look? Good. I mean, he you looked good? like he did when he was still playing. You know what I mean? Like quick release and accurate and all that. So he, he did a nice job. I don't know like where he is now because this, but this was shortly after kind of he was like two years removed from playing at that point. Two, three years removed from playing. Hey, man, he's only 29. I'm sure he's still, yeah. still getting it going yeah. a little bit. Well, it's like <laughs> I remember being that age as a coach, and it's like I can I can still throw the way I did. It just hurts a lot more now, and I don't have as many bullets in the chamber, right? Like or in, in the in the in the magazine. That's the, that's the that's the part where it can kind of get a little bit uh, a, a little bit challenging. But I, I do like that rule. I, I now here's the question I have for you, right? They allow testing now, right? Like. I imagine they're going to be getting 40 times on like Chris Tyree and Brayden Lindsay and some of those guys. How does, how does that process work? That's a good, so that's something that they just started doing pretty recently as well. I think that there's, it's like by request by NFL teams. So I think like Keaton Slovis, for instance, instance was a guy that USC was allowed to participate in the pro day on a more extensive level than just throwing the football for USC last year. And then obviously when they get into the junior day aspect of spring ball, right? Like there's going to be some blesto scouts, which is, so Blesto scouts always scout for the next draft cycle. They're not dr- scouting for this draft cycle. So they would be looking at 2023 kids already. So they would be coming through and they would be evaluating players that are eligible for the next year's class. So that would be where they would get the heights, weights, maybe 40 times, depending. Usually Notre Dame doesn't give do 40 times and that type of testing for junior days, but they'll get the mm-hmm. heights, weights, arm length, hand size, all that type of stuff. So there's def- I mean, it's, it's good, man. I mean, there's a lot more ways now for players to get those verified measurables early. I mean, for, for teams and for organizations to get those verified early. I somewhat understand why teams would be hesitant to allow guys to do that because you don't want a guy getting hurt running a 40 time if he's not training for the 40 and he's in the middle of spring ball. But I think for some of these guys, you might want to think think twice about that because I – you know, if, if I'm looking at a guy like Chris Tyree, it's like, and Braden Lindsay's like, I want to create some draft buzz for these guys and go let Chris Tyree run a low four, three, go let Braden Lindsay run a high four, three, you know, create some draft buzz about them. But I also understand like, Hey, we've got the GP. I think that helps teams too. It's like, Hey, we don't want him to run because we're in the middle of spring ball and he's not trained to run that. But what we will give you is the GPS data. And I think that's something that can help you too, because there's a lot more, you're seeing more and more teams that I'm reading about, and again, this could just be smoke and mirrors, Ryan, but I'm reading more and more teams are putting more stock on the GPS numbers from teams than they are a 40 time. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's something I'm curious about. And I have a proposal. I have a, I have a, a, a combine proposal that I wanted to get your opinion on. Okay. I think that they should get away mm-hmm. from the, the, the timed 40 yard dash. I don't okay. think it really adds as much value. What I think they should do is they should have every player get in his stance and go from there. So a running back has to take a lead step and go, and then you time him from start to finish. A receiver should have to get in a receiver stance and go out of a stance. Uh, you know, with a corner, have him have him have a cornerback stand there, take three pedal steps, turn and run, and test him that way. I think those are things that I think would be more practical that you could say, like like an offensive lineman. Don't have an offensive lineman get in a track stance. Have him get in a three-point stance and come out of a football stance. I, I wish they would do things like that because 
I really feel like that would be better for the players. You can start focusing on you're still working on your football stuff. And I think as an evaluator, it would give me a better sense of, you know, like a running back getting in a track stance and running fast doesn't tell me how much he's going to, how he's going to be in a two point stance, taking a lead step, taking a handoff and then running, you know what I mean? So, or, and put a ball in their hand, you know what I mean? Like a running back, put a ball in their hand, make them take a handoff and then see how fast, how fast they go from start to finish on a handoff. I, I, that would be, and that would be fun. I would love to see something. It's never going to happen, but that yes. would be fun. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I was going to say it's, it's never going to happen. Never going to happen. It's, it's, it's going to lose the media spectacle of the viewers, right? Like I, they want to see, I, see the I, I think the opposite. I actually think, think that so? would create, I think fans right. would love that because it would almost have, it would have a gimmicky feel to it, even though it's actually more practical, you know, where, where, because you know, like 40 times, because it would give us a whole new data points to measure. Like, okay, you know, it's like, and then all of a sudden your 10 yard start, your 20 starts becoming even more kind of impactful. You know, like uh, you can have, you can do it with running backs. You do two things. We're going to have you take a handoff on an inside zone track and go vertical. And then we're going to throw you a toss. I'm going to toss you a ball, going to have a cone on the edge. How quickly can you catch the toss, get around a cone and up vertical 40 yards, right? Like I think fans would eat that stuff up. And for a scout, man, that's like, like you talked about it yesterday. We we're talking about burners. A burner is yeah. a guy that can kind of get, can outrun the edge, mm-hmm. you know? So if this guy takes 2.2 seconds or something, and this guy takes 1.9 seconds, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. those are more practical and, and I think fans would eat that up. I don't think NFL team, I don't think the NFL would ever even consider that, but well, I think that'd good. be awesome. All, all the all the scouts that I know and the evaluators that I know, they're all very old fashioned. So they would yep. not, they, I, they, Never. they just want everything to stay the same. They Never. I, unfortunately, I'm actually very terrified, not terrified, but I am scared to a degree that the, the combine is going to continue to lose less and less steam here because, right. I mean, it's, we're, obviously we saw a few guys opt out of drills. The GPS tracking is a real thing, and you're absolutely correct. You are not wrong in that sense that a lot of teams are moving completely away from the hands, the 40s, the electronic times, because mm-hmm. they can go to the GPS that and say, like, he ran, he got a max speed of 22.1. He was this speed out of a break, all that type of data, which is great. It's awesome because that is literally evaluating game speed, which is what it should all be about. Um, but I, I really am scared that the combine is going to start to be, really lose its luster because people mm-hmm. are just going to kind of be like, you know, like it's, you know, guys, wh- why are we testing? Like, we don't need to test. Why do we need to test? It's going to put our guys the, in, in a bad situation. The NFL is partly to blame for that because the oh, stupid, sure. silly things they did this year, um, oh. you know, the decision to cancel it a couple of years ago was dumb. And, and I think the manner in which they cover it, to be honest with you, is kind of silly. And And I think the other thing that hurts too is I feel like, they are so off on their 40 times this year that it's like you lose credibility. You know, I mean, when you when you have guys like it's like I get why they did it. I think they did it to hey, so you know, from the time that 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 uh Tyquan Thornton ran the 421 to the time it became an official 428, you had a lot of clicks on you know tweet Twitter and, and all this other kind of stuff and people tuning in, and then it's like, oh, it's actually a 428, you know, it wasn't actually you know yeah. close to John Ross's 40 time. But I mean, they were so far off. I mean, it was like, it was, it was you had mentioned this to me, like I've never seen them this far off consistently on guys. And then of course the couple guys we wanted them to be off on, they weren't off on, you know what I mean? Like, 
Right? Please say that it, you it were was, wrong on Kyle Hamilton and he actually ran a four five four. <laughs> it, it was bizarre, man, because the first yeah. day they had such a quick trigger. Like all the times yeah. were a lot faster than they were. The next day they were a yeah. lot slower because I right. guess they were like, oh, it's bad. It's, right. Oh, uh, man, right. it's rough. Tom yeah, is not was, heading in the correction. Because didn't Charlie Cashley used to be the guy yeah. that did that for NFL Network? But yeah, he was always yeah. kind of close. I mean, you know, it's an old yeah. Charlie's an old school scout. I mean, you know what I mean? Like he wears yeah. the suit and, and all that. But you know, Charlie's. I mean, he knows what he's doing out there. And and mm-hmm. yeah, it was bad. But I think there's things that the NFL can do to make this event more fan friendly. I, I had no problem letting fans in the stands on that. I actually think no, that no. if you do it right, that kind of creates some. I mean, again, there should be rules like there's no booing. There, you know what I mean? But like, you want to cheer for a guy and. You know, that's fun. Plus, that allows us to kind of get in there and see it now, which we couldn't in the past, and just buy a ticket, you know, they have and to make, They have to make the event a lot more player and agent friendly if they yes. want it to continue. Yes. Because, they, I mean, pushing everything, the measurements, the bench press, and all the on-field stuff to the same day, you can't you can't validate that that is for the player. You just What, can't what time it. were the players showing up on the weekday? Weren't they getting there like 8 o'clock in the morning? No, Brian, Brian, it's way worse than that, man. I just talked to Leo Chanel from, from Wisconsin. Uh-huh. They were waking up and they were getting their, their medicals and stuff four o'clock in the morning and they weren't going to bed that night until like 1, 1.30 in the morning. Because like, they're doing the other things. Grind. And exactly. then the running backs, were they were asking the running backs to do 40s and shuttles at like after 8 o'clock at night. It's crazy, That's man. stupid. That's yep. stupid. So if any agent worth a, his grain of salt is going to tell his run, dude, you're not running shuttles at 9 30 at night no way so i thought the agents did a great job this year looking out for their clients and they actually i thought let some of their clients do more than they probably should have uh but like look nobody's benching anymore so find something else to do find something else that you can do i also think the thing that they need to do a better job of is publicizing and showing the workouts like, I think that's something they should do a better job of, too. But, yeah, they're going to have to make it more fan-friendly to make people watch it. Yeah. But it doesn't make matter how fan-friendly you make it. If it's not player and agent-friendly, it just there's not going to be anybody there anymore. Exactly. And, and that's exactly. that's the big thing for me. So, And if you're going away from the 40 time, that's why I say, then find other things to do. Find other practical things to do. And that, that's why I say do more position-specific times. You know what I mean? Like that, like – Th- those are the testing things that you can do. Like test linebackers, they got to they got to step and run at a forty five degree angle. You know, like they're running downhill or something like that. You know, do do some of those things. Like put them through, through some of these drills and test the drills or whatever. I mean, there's all types of stuff they can do. I think they need to do a better job of explaining to fans what some of those drills are for. That's the other thing. It's like they just do these drills. Like, why are they doing this drill? Like, not not the testing drills, but like the workout drills. And and I think those are things. The, the, the production overall from NFL Network kind of sucks, in my opinion, to be honest with you. Yeah, you're not wrong. And, and I mean, even some of the drills they have, like the offensive linemen run through and stuff. I'm just like, how is this practical? Some of the things they right. do, like it just doesn't make any sense. Right. So, right. Just, yeah. yeah. And just like laying on the ground and then getting on. It's like that's such an old school thing. Like I don't. We don't need to see that. Right. Like, you know whatever it is what it is couple can, can couple we answer this one real quick can yeah we answer this one real yeah. quick tommy yes tommy guns asked when and why did 40 yards become the standard to measure speed tommy a few years ago i had no idea and actually found out a couple years ago 
it was because originally the 40-yard dash was for a special teams actually aspect, right? Like covering punts. They want to see who could be the gunners. So you're going to run 40 yards because typically like 40 yards is kind of the threshold for punting. Obviously, it's expanded now and it's like high 40s, 50s. But traditionally, at least when the when the, when the the measure was started, 40 yards was kind of the standard for punting. So they wanted to see a guy running a straight line because the one place that it is applicable is if you're a gunner, right? You are running mm-hmm. straight down the football field as fast as you can. So punts is actually why it is 40 Interesting. yards standard. Interesting. So now we definitely understand why guards and tackles and defensive tackles have to run down the field because they're going to be on the they're going to be gunners on the punt team. Hey, way to go NFL! You know, makes total sense. Uh, whatever. Uh, a couple things real quick. We got. I'm not going to even try to pronounce that. Something Galante. Uh, when is Notre Dame sending out the pots of gold for the 2024 guys? That's going to be all day tomorrow. They're going to be sending them out in batches all day. So it's going to be tomorrow. A couple other things here. Uh, timeout, Tom. How many recruits can Dante Moore, if he commits Notre Dame, bring with him whose names we're not familiar with at this time? It's not going to be those kind of guys. It's going to be guys that we're familiar with. It's going to be guys. Because here's the thing. This Notre Dame staff is going after the dudes. Right? Like So it's like, well, what big-time receivers are they going to go after now that they got Dante Moore if they get him? Well, they're already after those guys. It's Cardinal Tate. It's Braylon James. It's Jaden Greathouse. It's Rodney Gallagher. It's Kyler Casper. It's you know, it's those kind of guys that they're already on. Uh, so it's not going to be a now. Maybe you could increase your chances with a Samson Okalola or a Carnell Tate or a Deuce Robinson, but those are names already on the board. There won't be any new names that they go after now that they have Dante Moore if they get Dante. Uh, so I don't think that's going to impact uh, Corey D. Real quick, Ryan. I'm just curious. We can be brief with this one. I'm just curious. I'll give my answer, but do you prefer the Notre Dame Ohio State game being at noon or at night? It sounds like it will be at noon. I prefer a noon game. I yeah, hate I night games when I'm on the road. I hate being out of. I mean, because as a coach, you've got to get up, you have your breakfast, you have meetings, and then you've got hours before you head to the stadium of you just time you got to kill. Whereas yeah. when you're at home, you're at your apartment, you're at your dorm, you're maybe having lunch with your family, you've got your you know, there's all type. It's just a it's. Road games at night suck, in my opinion, especially in an environment like Ohio State, which is going to be insane at eight o'clock at night. Well, that, uh, that's what I was going to say because you're talking for more of a practical pro- approach as like a coach getting ready for right, a game. Right. It, as a as a fan of Notre Dame, I want that to be a day game. I want that to be a twelve o'clock kickoff because the yes. fans will not be as big a factor as if oh, it was yeah. at night. Oh yeah. yeah, and Ohio State hasn't exactly been great at noon games the last couple of years. They they haven't been quite as as good night games. They're hard to beat. They're hard to beat at night at home. Very hard to beat. Uh, I can assure you, Uptown Girl, this will not happen. But she says, they're, <laughs> Uptown Girl, I wonder if this actually is a lady or if somebody is still on the Christy Brinkley thing, you know, because that was obviously the song that Billy Joel sang and Christy Brinkley, his wife at the time, was in that video. Uh, or it could just be someone who has a, the name Uptown Girl. Either way, great question. <laughs> there needs to be an IB staff 40 race, take donations to the site to allow people to watch and place bets. That will never happen unless as the boss i determine that they're running and i'm not and we can take bets that way but i have a hard time i don't think i'm going to be able i could probably talk you and vince into doing it there's no way me and sean are running 40 yard dashes no way i just pulled three muscles thinking about running a 40 yard dash okay so uh that's not gonna happen phoenix fournier with a comment Says better routes by the receivers, receiving core, and better blocking. That alone will improve the passing game. Throw in Tyler Buckner's ceiling. Agree with you completely. And then the last one, Ryan. We're going to end with a draft question here. I believe this is the last one. I don't see any uh, any new ones. So, oh, it it, it is. It is. It. I, I see. I nailed it. It's changed the name from Billy Joel from earlier. So I had a feeling that I was right on that one. 
uh, really, really leaning hard into the Christy Brinkley thing there, guys. But uh, uh, Ryan, uh, Kenneth O'Donnell is an Eagles fan, and he says, Ryan, yeah. who should the Philadelphia Eagles draft in the first and second rounds? I would appreciate your excellent review. They have two first-round picks, correct, or three? Three? They have, they have 15, 16, and 19, if I remember. Now, are they going to use them all, or are they trying to move up to get somebody? No, or a I little bit of both. I think more likely they're going to trade one of them to move back, to be honest. Okay. Um, okay. So I think they're actually going to go reverse way. If they do sit there and they draft all three in the first round, I think they have a second round pick, if I remember correctly. Actually, Now, would that be a day of move back? Like, let's see how the board shapes yeah, up and then move back yeah. if it's not – okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that they'll they, they'll kind of play the quarterback board because usually guys are trying to trade up into the top ten for quarterbacks. But with this class, eh, like there might not be a guy drafted until somewhere ten to twenty. So like they could right. possibly use one of those picks to move back. But to answer your question, Kenneth, I think so. They just they just signed Hassan Reddick, who's a pass rusher out of Temple, right? For a few years ago, he's had double digit sack season the last two years. But I still think the defensive ends in play because. Brandon Graham's coming back from an Achilles injury. Derek Barnett's a free agent. All they have is Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick. So I wouldn't count out on a guy like George Karloftis from Purdue being a guy maybe at 15 that may be on the board. It's a potential good fact because outside of Darius Slay, Steven Nelson is a free agent. All they have is like Zach McPherson on the roster. So maybe get an Andrew Boot Jr. from uh, Clemson as a player. And then I'm a fan of, of the Eagles maybe taking a wide receiver there in the first round too, if they stick there because they have Devonta Smith, but they just have a bunch of kind of like secondary guys outside of, they don't have a true like number two wide receiver. So maybe you draft a Drake London who would add size yeah. to your wide receiver, like from USC, maybe if Traylon Burks from Arkansas is there, someone mm-hmm. in that ballpark, a guy that adds a little more size right. for the Philadelphia Eagles. And then after that, like always strengthening the offensive and defensive lines, there's, there's talks that, they may be in the in the conversation of getting rid of Fletcher Cox this offseason at defensive tackle. They have Javon Hargrave, who's a good player. They have Milton Williams, who they drafted in the third round. But maybe second round, you look at a defensive tackle guy to kind of bolster the interior. They got to hit better at receiver than they have in recent seasons. And I think last year was a good start. I like Devontae Smith. But their last couple, Jalen Rieger especially, was a uh, – that was not they, a. They drafted drafted JJ yeah. Ortega Whiteside over uh, yeah. DK Metcalf, in, in, man. In round two, right? In round two, uh, yeah. yeah. That they they have not uh, not done a phenomenal job drafting receivers. Although, again, good look, you can't blame the current administration, so to speak, for past regime failures. But yeah, it's it's been a problem. Uh, so good start last year. I like I like where you're going though that with that complimentary type of player to Devontae Smith. You know, you look at the two the two bigger guys. You know, Drake London, Traylon Burks. You know, it's just, his forty times still got me because I I had to go back and watch his highlights again. I'm like, man, I just remember this guy being so. I mean, I don't remember him ever getting caught by anybody. You know, yeah, you watch. Wasn't like didn't he take like a bubble screen against Bama and just house it? Right? Wasn't it Bama yeah, that he did like that a, against? He had like hundred eighty yards against Bama, man. Like they yeah. could not cover all day. Yeah. It was no, crazy, they couldn't yeah. cover him. It was insane. Uh, so that's the thing is like, you know, a guy like that, I mean, I, I've read some, a couple things, I mean, you know, who knows if these guys know what they're talking about or not, but where people are talking about him being like the number one receiver off the board, maybe going top 10 or 12. And then the four, if that causes him to drop a team, like a team, like the Eagles has got to be like chomping at the bit to, to get to a guy like him. And I know that they've, they've wanted to address their offensive line issues, obviously for years, but, uh, uh, now Landon Dickerson, was he able to play last year? He actually played pretty well. He settled into right okay. guard. So, so he was have, able to be healthy last year. Yeah, him okay. and Lane Johnson were playing pretty well down the stretch on the right side. Okay. They have Kelsey coming back. Um, left tackle, my lot actually had a great year. Their biggest hole mm-hmm. is 
they have Brand- they have Brandon Brooks, who was their starting right guard, who yeah. just retired. So they could use another guard. They might be okay with Siamalu for a year. But well, Andre Dillard didn't pack out or work out. That's, he, actually, that's... he actually didn't do terrible last year filling in for Mylotta. But now, nah, man, he's he's not very he's good. He's a freaking number one draft pick. You know, a guy, know. A guy like that should be filling in for anybody. That was you, such a – dra- You drafted a swing tackle at number 23. That's what happened, yeah. man. That's what yeah, happened. It's, yep. it's like, oh, what are you doing? The guy's never run block in his life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, you play for Mike man. Leach. He's like, yeah, come on. I'm obviously an exaggeration. Well, but yeah, that, that, that makes that makes it a tough one too, Ryan, because there's yeah. a offensive tackle coming out of Mississippi State where Mike Leach is now yeah. this year, Charles Cross, who's excellent, yeah. man. But it's like the same thing. It's like he doesn't run block. He's never asked to yeah. run block, but like yeah. he's very good. He's yeah. very now, good. He's a true junior, correct? Redshirt sophomore, but yeah. Red, yeah. Okay, but like in college, like me. So he didn't play as a freshman under – the previous the previous correct. staff, right? See, correct. Well, well, he's only okay, really so, played in the air raid, right? Yes, he's he's only played in the air raid because he redshirted his first year. He, I don't think okay. he played at all. Right. So, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's problematic. The the Dickerson move last year, I thought, was either going to be uh, like boomer bust, meaning the bust being like his knee never recovers. You just you know you never know. Yeah. But man, you get him at thirty seven. If he doesn't tear his knee up in the in the SEC title game, he's not falling to thirty seven. That was a nah, that was a bit of a savvy he, move. I felt he had really easy fill, man. Like he mm-hmm. is a very projectable player as a starter in the next level. It's just like, but he admit he had he had literally not finished four out of five seasons due to injury. Yeah. Like that is he had injury problems. At, yeah, that's right. He had those issues at Florida State as well. I forgot about yeah. that. I forgot yeah. about that. And his knee injury, from what I read, was pretty big. Like it yes. wasn't just like a partial tear. It's like, didn't he tear multiple ligaments? So mm-hmm. the fact that he came back last year and played, that's why I was asking, like, if he played, like, that's impressive because he tore that he thing. He stayed late. healthy. Late. Stayed healthy he tore that one. in the SEC title game in December. Yep. Ooh, he gets hurt a lot, but he seems to come back from him and play. Hey, well, he bounces so. back. He bounces yeah, back. Give him, give him credit for that. Bit of a bit of a physical freak or medical freak, I guess, a little bit. He's probably like the new Mark, Mark Schlereth. Right, like I mean, he would have like reconstructive knee surgery and be back in three weeks. You know what I mean? Oh, like man. it was he, guy was Schleier's insane. A weirdo man, he's a that weirdo. guy was insane. Was yes, of course, was. part of, in my opinion, the the greatest offensive line in the history of the NFL. I'm I'm only a tad biased, uh, and that would be the 1998 Denver Bronco offensive line. Although the '97 with Gary Zimmerman was was pretty darn good too. You know, so mm-hmm. but yeah, that was uh, some pretty good offensive lines. Pretty off. Tom Nalen, yeah, Mark Slaret, the guard. Did Brian Habib oh, guard? The, Tom, you know, the 90s, Tom Nalen was so good, man. He was yeah, such he an underrated, was very center. underrated, he was fantastic. Yes, yeah. but that you know, it was probably the '97 line was probably the best because you had Gary Zimmerman at left tackle. He was still a Pro Bowler. You had Tony Jones at right tackle, and then of course the next year they moved Tony to left tackle and Harry Swain, signed Harry Swain to replace you know Gary Zimmerman. So, but those were two pretty darn good offensive lines and uh, made sure. Terrell Davis look really good. So, of course, having Terrell Davis and Shannon Sharp and Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey and this guy at quarterback named Elway it's certainly not, helps. It's not bad. It's not bad. certainly helps right. you a little bit. There's no doubt about that. So, hey, everybody, that's it going to be it for today's show. Ryan, thanks for joining us, man. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Vince obviously was with us earlier. Thanks, everybody. Hey, remember, remember, everybody, hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share your podcast. I believe there are still Rocky Road Built Bars. I got two boxes of them. I will never, ever push a product on you guys in this format that I don't believe in. Some of the commercials I don't have any say over on on the, the podcast side, but on the YouTube channel, I will never push a product that I haven't used, I don't like, and I wouldn't eat or use myself. The Built Bars are phenomenal. I cannot wait. 
I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about one. They sent me an ambassador pack the other day, Ryan. So like some of the new stuff they have, and there's a flavor that they sent me. That's a, that's one of the puffs that I'm super excited about, but I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about it yet. So I, I, uh, as soon as they sell those, I'm going to buy like multiple boxes. So like, they keep trying to test me on like, is, is cookie dough really your favorite? Cause we got a couple other coming down the pike. So, uh, they are definitely trying to test me on that one. So if you use the promo code Irish breakdown, when you buy built bar, you get 10% off your entire purchase. Anytime you order, it's not a one-time thing. Like it is for the merch store, sign up for the message board, everybody Four ninety nine a month or $49.99 for a year. If you sign up for a month, you also get a 10% discount off your next full per, full order, complete order from the Irish Breakdown merch store. If you sign up for an annual membership, and we've had a lot of annual membership signups the last few days, which I'm excited about, because that's when you're buying in, you're, hey, I'm in the world, they offer a year. I love that. Uh, you get 20% off your next purchase to the Irish Breakdown merch store. And we've got cool flags like this, like that one right there behind that guy over there. Uh, I see Irish Breakdown polo, shirts, hoodies, all types of stuff. His wife is a big fan of the blanket. So got, got, got Mrs. Roberts a blanket. She digs it. Got some some a onesie uh, for for Jules, which is obviously really uh, you know those are adorable. I never would have thought in my life I would have sold those things, but we've actually sold a bunch of those. Uh, so all types of great stuff for the people that are part of the Irish Breakdown community and family, and that's what we are here. So uh, sign up for the boards. Check out all the great content. I know Ryan was texting me before he came on. I got this update. I got that update. I'm going to throw this on the board. I'm going to throw that on the board. So. He's already crushing it, folks, even faster than I thought he was going to crush it. And I'm not just saying that because he's on the show. Uh, I'm not going to like say, I've said that to be nice, but you're really sucking. No, he's doing a great job and he's just getting started. So uh, really excited. Stay locked in tomorrow because we're going to have a ton of stuff on the first practice. It's the first day for the pot of gold. There's a ton going on tomorrow. Stay locked in. And of course, tonight, Ryan, eight o'clock. We're going to talk some receiver. We're going to talk some film. We're going to break down some film of the Notre Dame receiver targets. So definitely want to check that out tonight at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. So for Ryan Roberts and Vince D'Addario, I am Brian Driscoll, and you all are what really make this thing work. Thank you all so much for joining us on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. (laughs) 